This is John Byrne, the lead pastor here at Grace Fellowship, and this is the Grace Deep Dive Podcast, recorded deep in the depths of the Grace Fellowship basement here in Lakewood, Colorado. We dive a little deeper into Sunday sermon. I'm Johnny McCloskey, and I'll be your host on the Grace Deep Dive Podcast. Where we are calling out husbands everywhere for uh, the fact that we blame our wives for... What, for, what for, you do? What are you, what's, we're blaming our wives for something? What's no, going on? No, the fact that we blame our wives and we lose our car keys. Did you lose? Oh, yeah. I do that all the time. You know, I'll uh, set something down and I'll put it in the wrong spot. And then when I'm looking for it, I'm like, where did my wife put this? Where did where did she put it? And uh, we're, just, we're just bad how, like how that. How often are you right that she moved it? Uh, she almost never moves it. It's usually, oh, really? it's usually me. Yeah. It's usually you. I don't know how, I don't know how it is at your house, but uh, usually it's it's me. I put it in the wrong spot. Well, I'll tell you this, that if it is my wife's fault, I'm not going to say it on this, on oh, the podcast. Oh, smart know? man. But really, <laughs> but really, we know it's not her fault and it's your fault. But anyways, yeah, so we are uh, kind of getting near the tail end. I think we have one more on the secrets of unlocking the Christian yeah, faith, th- right? Yeah, this Sunday, this coming Sunday is the last uh, sermon in that series. Gotcha. Okay, so we're at one more Sunday coming up. So this is the uh, second to the last one. We are restoring the power of brotherly love. And yes. I, just, I just want to say, start out by saying, John. Sort of. We're kind of doing it the other way around. But brotherly love has the power of restoration. Or oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Well, um, so I just want to say, John, that I, I love you, man. Oh. Is that, is that what it's about? Is that what the Are whole, we going to hug now? I don't think so because I have to get up. I have to stand you. up. Yeah. <laughs> we are have sitting to walk the, way around the table. Yeah. We are sitting in the same room, which is. There would uh, be this awkward silence on the on the podcast. We could pretend like we hug. Yeah. Just like knock some stuff around. <laughs> Maybe just. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we're kind of restoring it, you know, according to the, um, the title. So we're just going to. Brother love has a power of restoration. Is that yeah, kind of, okay? I, so, well, that was that was the intent, anyways, to be communicated through the title. Yeah, but it was good actually because there's been some situations I think you know where we kind of even see the the fact and the need. Um, some personal application, I think, just to help each other out. I love it. Um, there's always always someone that can use help, and uh, sometimes it's us, and sometimes somebody else. But we should always be willing to help out where we can. Um, you kind of made a distinction a little bit about. Helping maybe within the church and outside of the church type thing, you know, that, that there might be a difference there or, or a way to, to apply it differently somehow. What um, do you mean? I, I'm not sure. Well, let I'll... me ask you the question I had. So uh, how does love for our brothers and sisters in Christ look differently than our love towards unbelievers? Is there a difference? Oh, yeah, I think there is. Um, you know, I think I think you think about people who... Um, even thinking about John, John talks a lot about this, about how we love one another, that, that the mark of, you know, Francis Schaeffer wrote a little book uh, about this. The mark of a, of a Christian is how we love one another. There, the Bible does tell us to, to love our neighbor, those, and that might be a person outside the church, right? But, but there's a different way in which we, we love people inside the church, and it's more of a familial way. We're family. We're, we're united. I, I can love somebody outside the church. But I can't really love them into restoration. I can maybe love them in a way that might lead them towards Jesus, and Jesus can restore them. But once you're inside the church, once you're a brother or a sister in Christ, um, then then we can love each other in a different way. And there and there is kind of that restoration. Sometimes that requires calling somebody out on something, right, in a, in, in an appropriate way, and saying, "Hey, you know, there's this thing in your life, and let's 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 restore it." That's a brotherly love. Um, and that has a restoring power. And that's kind of what Jesus did in the passage we, we talked about in, uh, at the end of John where, where Jesus you know, asks Peter, do you love me? He's calling him out. He's reminding him of his, um, his denial of Jesus, but he's also restoring him. 
to, you know, to a place of, of ministry and, and right relationship with Jesus. So, yeah. So there is a difference for sure. Well, John, you, uh, you kind of touched on, on this verse kind of moving on for that. I think that was a good answer. Um, it is, it, yeah, there's a difference. You, you know, even just, you know, it's kind of weird when you, not weird, but when you meet a, another believer, yeah. even if they're from another state and you pray with them, there's this weird connection there. Absolutely. There's almost like a familial connections. Like, mm-hmm. this is my brother. This is my sister in Christ. Uh, I've even prayed with people in other countries where they don't speak English. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that we all have the same dad. It's so yeah. weird um, because you're speaking. I don't even know what you're saying, but you're still talking to my dad. Yeah. You kind of, you kind of trust and there's a trust level there, even in, in, even though you don't know what they're saying, but you kind of trust that they're, they're praying to, to God and, you know, in the name of Jesus and, um, and that kind of thing. And there's, there's a connection because we have that we're co we're both co-heirs with Christ. We're both brothers or sisters of Christ. And, 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 you know, God, the father is our, is our heavenly father. And there's, yeah. So there's that family connection and, um, it, it's, it's deeper than the language, you know, that we speak or, or even the culture we live in. And, and that's really something unique, I think, uh, to Christianity and, and, and to having that fa- family love towards one another. Mm. Uh, you you brought up a verse this Sunday, which I've always uh, it's it's one of those verses that I'm like, oh, this is, I've always had a, not a hard time with it, but it's just it makes me think different thoughts. So I'm gonna yeah. bring it up to you. It's Matthew yeah. twelve forty six. Okay, and it's the, basically it's, the, it's you know I'll just go ahead and read it. It's uh, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers and sisters oh, yeah. stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told them, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you, and he replied to them. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, I'm going to say Jesus had a weird statement, but it's, a, it's an interesting, it is kind interesting of sentence. But my question mostly is, um, well, I guess, first of all, kind of what, is it, what does that mean? I mean, is he just saying that we're all kind of now heirs and you know we're all part of the family adopted in or is it is there more of a philosophical um, ministry implication yeah well i mean i think in a sense yeah we're all adopted in we, it's it's a different kind of family and, and honestly it's a more important family um than the one that we might have in you know you think about marriage for instance and when jesus was asked about marriage and you know uh the Pharisees came and said, "Hey, you know this guy marries this this woman, and and uh, she dies or something." And hopefully, I'm getting this right. <laughs> but uh, I know then, you're and going. Marries, it, yeah. marries a, you know somebody else, and, and and then you know they all everybody ends up dying. Who's he going to be married to in the afterlife? Right? That's kind of the question. They're trying to trick Jesus, and he's like, "There's no marriage in the afterlife. There's no you know people are not given in marriage." The, the idea is this: that there's our, our family, even uh, that we have here on Earth, is is a physical family, but our spiritual family is more important and it's an eternal family as well. And so, um, so that's, it's, it's a more significant family. I think that's, that's what Jesus is referring to. He's look, we have moms and dads and brothers and sisters and they're all important and we want to love them. And, you know, especially as parents, we think about our offspring, our children and going, man, we just really, really love them in a really unique way that we don't love anybody else. But the reality is we ought to, in a different kind of way, um, love our spiritual family even more 
than the physical family that we have. And um, that doesn't mean you put your, your, your own physical family on the altar and sacrifice them or, you know, to the, I'm using that figuratively, of course, but sacrifice them for the, for everything else. It just means, it just means that there is an eternal family that we're a part of. And that's, that's eternally more significant. Um, I think that's what Jesus was saying. There's, there's an eternal aspect to that family uh, that that we are a part of, and and we we need to recognize that. And we we serve the same Father, our spiritual Father. Um, you know, you think about it at the end of Jesus' life, and you know what he was not unconcerned about his his mom about Mary. Uh, you know, wanted to make sure she was taken care of. At, you know, at the end of his life and things like that. And so it wasn't that he was unconcerned about his physical family, his you know his mom and uh, you know stepdad or you know, half brothers and sisters or whatever, but it was just that this is my eternal family Mm -hmm. that I belong to. And that's, that's even more important. Just like a a balance. It seems like too, because, you know, in this passage talks about someone comes up to him and says, Hey, your mother and your, uh, sorry, your brothers and your mother are outside. They want to talk to you. Yeah. And he's basically saying, sounds like what he's saying is, well, I'm kind of doing something important with my brothers and my spiritual family right now. That can be put that can on wait. hold. Yeah. yeah. And my question then is, um, which just pause for a second I, yeah. there. I think that I think that's that's really significant. You know, there's been, um, especially in pastoral circles, there's kind of this been this movement. I guess you might say over in years past, um, in recent years, where it's kind of like. Um, you know, pastors would go into a church and things like that and be like, my, my family's number one and, you know, I'm not going to sacrifice them and, and all that. And I think that's, that's not, it's not entirely right. Um, and the other probably extreme is probably not right either. Right. Yeah. And yeah. You don't want to sacrifice your family for the sake of ministry either. Right. Mm-hmm. There's, and it's, I wouldn't call it a balance. And, and I think, uh, I think I heard Tom Rainer. Uh, recently put it this way that our, that our family is our first first line of ministry. Um, you know we're we're ministering to the whole church, but our family is our first line. So we're minister to our family first, and the rest of the church is a pastor after that. And my family does sacrifice as a family for for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of church, and 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 that kind of thing. And that's okay. There, I think that's part of the calling of being a pastor is that my family also sacrifices along with me. That's not the same as it, as working for, you know, some company somewhere or something like that. But but it's not it's a different kind of calling. And that's that's fine. Um, you know, so there, there is a sense in which even even our as pastors, I think it is it is not good to say that my family will not sacrifice for the sake of my ministry. Hopefully they're they're your first line of ministry and they're ministering alongside you. Um, that's what that's what I think it should be. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's I think, a well, I think it sounds like there needs to be some some just some even boundaries and expectations too. Like this is this is important um, that I minister and you understand that. And sometimes you know maybe the family will pull from uh, from us at times, mm-hmm. and you have to have the wisdom to say, yeah. you know what, no, this is right now. I I see where you're at, but this is a more important issue. But yeah. we'll address this later, maybe. Yeah, and it goes both ways. There's times there's times I go, sorry, church sacrifices because my family's in need of me. Yeah, and there's other times where I go. You know, it depends on the situation and the context and all kinds of things. There's many factors that play into it, right? But and but there are times where I go, sorry, family, I need to go and, and do this ministry and, um, you know, that kind of thing. Or the whole family is sacrificing along with me, however that looks, you know, in different circumstances. And where the so, greater need is, almost yeah. in some ways. Yeah, yeah. And so so it's not, there's, I don't think there's a super 
clear boundary to that. But I do think it's important in ministry to understand that. And I think it's important whether you're a pastor or just a lay person in the church. Uh, it's important to minister as a family and for the family to see that uh, your ministry, your service to God for the sake of the kingdom is is something you do as a family. It's important. So the person that att- attends church, it's it might be beneficial for them to see that it is important for them uh, to look not just to, hey, how's my family doing this morning, but how is the church family as a whole doing as well? Absolutely, 100%. And, and also to sacrifice, you know, one of the things that we've done, like with Joe, there's been, my son, well, there's been times where, um, you know, he's had like baseball games or something on a Sunday morning. And to the extent that we're able, we want to let him play that, play those games. Um, but we, we're always bringing him to church and, and, you know, okay, you're going to first service today because... You know, we can we can leave first service maybe two minutes early or five minutes early and still get to your game on time or something. And so we'll do that. We'll sacrifice that. And there's been times where we say, I'm sorry, you're just going to miss this game or this tournament or whatever, because, you know, we can't we can't be sacrificing church for the sake of baseball. And so so the family learns to sacrifice for the sake of church and, and God's kingdom. And that's an important lesson for our kids. And it's also important and instructive for for me as a dad to make sure that I'm putting got my priorities in the right order too, John. You, you, this last Sunday you talked about um, just dysfunction in families in general. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, is there any dysfunction allowed in the church family, John? Oh yeah, dude. Is there? <laughs> why is that? Uh, why, why, why is that? And then, and how should we just? How should we react to that as, as a church? Because I know that sometimes I've had situations in my life where, you know, I think I worked for a Christian company or something, and. <laughs> I expected more from them. Yeah. You know, and sometimes the the church jobs are almost, or the Christian owners are almost the hardest to work for in some ways. Sometimes, I'm yeah. like, you got to be kidding me. Aren't you supposed to be like Christ? But uh, I, maybe I should have been more like Christ as myself. But yeah, anyways, right. but I, I think it's just, we have this expectation of the church and the church family and church, whether it's Christian employers uh, or employees, and we're just have these high expectations. Then we kind of are met with... Uh, you know, when we fall the reality, yeah, the, the reality of the world we live in, it's very frustrating. It's it very frustrating, annoying. Yeah. Um, so is it okay that we are dysfunctional in some ways? And then how should we handle that? I mean, okay. In what sense? I mean, it's, it's okay. Like, should, because there's give nothing grace. we can do about it. Yeah. Right. We should give grace to one another and recognize that we're all sinful and fallen. And we, we fall short of the glory of God. We're in need of Christ's redemption. And, even if we even even if we all have faith in Jesus, we still battle sin and fallenness in this world, and we are still far from perfect. Um, even when we strive for holiness in our life, and and you know, I've heard so many people, uh, you know, at a church a number of years ago where I was on staff, um, there was somebody in the in the in the church that was that was let go, and uh, and you know, I'd say they were friends of mine. And, and it was interesting to hear, you know, the, the wife said something that I, and I've heard it many other places too. And, and it's kind of like this, well, you know, you know, the, the, the boss is Christian, the, the, you know, the other staff person's a Christian. Shouldn't we as Christians just be able to figure it out and get along and, and make it happen? It's like, well, yeah, but you're both sinful and you're both fallen and you're both still struggling with whatever it is, you know, and, and we can't sometimes. And, it, and it's hard and it's painful that that reality is hard and painful sometimes, but it's, it's still reality. Um, we have dysfunction in the church. Every church does. We do the best we can to reflect um, the glory of God to reflect him and, and to glorify and honor him and worship him and all we do, but we fail sometimes. 
And, um, and there's all kinds of reasons for it. There isn't, you know, just one reason. And so leaders fail, boards fail, um, there's conflict, you know, all those things are reality. We try to keep those things to a minimum, but they're just a reality. So, so if you, you know, and I, and I made the joke on Sunday, I said, if, if you find a perfect church, don't go there cause you'll ruin it, you know? And I, but the reality is there is no perfect church. And the reality is if there was, you would ruin it if you went there <laughs> yeah. because you would bring whatever baggage you have with you. So it's okay in the sense that it's, there's nothing we can do. We're going to face that. Um, but it's, it's really important to have grace and, and really seek, uh, seek God in the process. And, and I, you know, we, I hear this a lot. People leave churches, I think a lot of times for really bad reasons and, you know, this wasn't right or that wasn't right. And there's no grace. It's, they're looking for the perfect church mm-hmm. and, and you get some people, a few people that just can't seem to ever settle in at a church because they go to a church and then they find out it's not perfect. And they go to a different church. They found out that's not perfect. Then they go to another church. They found, right. Even if they're there for a year or two or whatever, that's not good for at you. At some point you got to look in the mirror that's, too. Yeah. Somehow. Well, not only look in the mirror, but just recognize that, that man, the pastor who's preaching, he needs grace. Mm-hmm. You know, the people who are sitting next to you on the right and the left, they need grace. The leadership needs grace. We want to pursue holiness together, but but when we when we fail, we need grace and we need restoration and redemption and that brotherly love. Yeah, it even kind of goes back to what you're talking about, just the fact that we need to be looking to restore others, to build others up, to yeah. encourage, to empower, to equip. You know, and I think sometimes as believers, you know, and even in my own life, we we become so self-absorbed, like, how is this the best for me and my family? Right. Instead of going into a, a church situation where you go, how can I, with what I've learned, um, come alongside people and build them yeah. up and, and restore them and, and yeah. help them out? So. And, and humility is so important because a lot of times what happens, and this happens as often as Christians mature, our, our sin patterns change. They morph over, you know, as, as you mature, you, you get past one sin and then you recognize, oh, shoot, I got another one that I got to oh, deal yeah. with. And those sin he, patterns change. He gets change. us a little bit at a time. Right. Yeah. And so, and so one, of the, one of the ways that, that works is pride will get in our lives, right? And we'll think, oh, I'm experienced. I've been around. I, I, I really studied scripture. I'm a mature believer. And, and so because of that, their pride will sneak in. And then you'll kind of start to think that I, you've got it all figured out. And maybe you wouldn't actively think that in the sense that you would never say that. But you start to behave that way. Mm-hmm. And your thought patterns begin to, to, to be that way. And it's, it's a lot easier to look at somebody else and, and go, well, they don't have it right without being self-reflective and humble and, and being able to say, well, maybe I don't have it right. Hmm. Yeah, that's no, true. Um, John, if, you, if there is... A I don't know. I guess uh, trying to think here. Brotherly love. We should all love each other. We should all get along for the most part. <laughs> yeah, we, um, we, as we believers, should. we should. Uh, the family of God is huge. It's big. Yeah. You know? um, I've always, you know, people might kind of stumble across the fact that why is the church so divided in so many ways in regards to denominations? Mm-hmm. Like why? Why is that a bad thing? Do you think it's a, a, a it's an okay thing? It's a healthy thing? What do you think about just like different denominations, different? Uh, sex of Christianity, essentially. Yeah, it depends. Um, there's sometimes there's good reasons, and sometimes there's not. Um, it, it just depends on which one you're talking about. Um, there are certainly different denominations that I would I would say are either heretical or teaching false things, and it's good for 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 us to be separate from them. Um, however, if 
if it's a church down the street or a denomination that's represented through a church down the street, and maybe we have some differences, but we're not, you know, we the core teachings of, of Scripture we, we all ascribe to, and, and we're kind of on the same page as far as, uh, you know, the gospel and who Jesus is, and we're not teaching anything heretical, uh, then, then, then it's, I would say it's not good to be antagonistic toward one another. Um, we should we should work together when we can and when and when it's appropriate. Um, it, it, but there's nothing wrong with that church being down the street and us us being here. We can both do the work of the kingdom. I mean, here here in Lakewood, we have 150 thousand people roughly, and uh, we need some help. And and man, we need more churches, man. I mean, we need to reach people for Jesus. There's 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 a hundred and I, I don't know, 30,000 that probably need, need to, to be plugged into a church somewhere. Well, that's a lot of churches. Uh, it's even a lot of big churches. And so, so that's, so we need more churches, not less. Um, I'm fine if, you know, we, we're part of something called Converge, which is Baptistic in its theology and has a Baptist background. And if there's an evangelical free church down the street, then they're reaching people. Praise Jesus, man. If there's whatever, there's, there's another denomination that is reaching people and they're, and they're preaching the gospel. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know, I'm, I'm all for it. And I think that the divisions between churches that, that are not teaching heresy and are preaching the gospel are surface. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that, especially if you know the pastors of those churches, you, what you would find is that they, they have a spirit of unity. They want to work together. And so there's, there's not as much division as sometimes it appears. Um, and, and if there was, if we start getting mad at each other, you know, I have pastor friends in, in, in Lakewood that call me and, uh, will talk to me and, Hey, you know, even if somebody goes, starts from my church, starts going to their church, they'll, they'll call me and say, Hey, you know, so-and-so showed up at, at our church and just, just thought you should know. And, uh, that kind of thing. We'll communicate about that. Now, if that doesn't, that ought to make you a little insecure about just, Mm -hmm. you know, jumping around in churches, we all know who you are and we talk. So we're not nearly as divided as it might appear. Okay. But if somebody is teaching something that is not good, that is not theologically correct from the core theological standpoints, there's things we can have, uh, differences in theologically and, and be okay with. But if the core teachings of the Bible are being betrayed, uh, then division becomes necessary and good. And sometimes speaking out is even better required. Yeah. And you, know, you said that, is that what you're talking about is heresy, heretical teachings. Yes, heretical teaching, heresy. Are, and that's probably one of the things where it's um, almost hard to divide, to find sometimes unless you see it. I would well, imagine. I'm sure there's, I mean, there, could, there's disagreement about where the line of heresy is. Okay. Um, but I, I think that, you know, we would, we would, we can at least say the gospel, uh, the good you know, news Jesus, of, the good news of Jesus, his life, life, death, burial, resurrection, bodily and physically, God. the yeah. eternal son, divine son of God who took on human flesh, you know, those core one way theological yeah. teachings. Yeah. Jesus is the, is, is the only way to, to salvation, you know, some of those kinds of things, those are core teachings. You cannot betray those and, and really be considered a Christian church, in my opinion. Gotcha. Um, and, and that's pretty broad that, that that's pretty well understood through most denominations. Oh, cool. Well, all right. Uh, so John, what do you, what is critical theory? Yeah. Yeah. I talked about critical theory on Sunday. Uh, I defined it on Sunday a little bit, but it, it's, 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 it's really hard to give, um, 
to give a full description of. It has its roots with Karl Marx, which, you know, should send off some warning morning lights in your head. Mm-hmm. You know, wait a minute, Karl Marx? Yes, Karl Marx, that Karl Marx. The, and, uh, and so that's kind of where it has its roots. And he saw people um, as, as oppressed, the oppressed and the oppressors, and, um, and basically would kind of pit them against each other, but it was almost a strategy for him. And, and, but this theory has, has become prevalent in our teaching and our politics. You think about identity politics and everybody's trying to, you know, say, hey, you're, you know, we're going we're gonna to separate this group out over here and then we're going to pit them against this other group. And this other group is the group that votes for the opponents, whoever that is. And, and we pit people against each other trying to enlarge our base so that we can, you know, politicians do this. And then so that we can get more power and that kind of thing. And um and so I think, so I think that's kind of, that's kind of how you see it play out in politics, but it plays out in education. It plays out in, 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 in our culture in general. And so, so you have this, you're either the oppressed or the, you're, you're the oppressor. And according to critical theory, if you're the oppressed, you're the one, you're part of the group being oppressed, then more credence is given to your understanding of reality than the oppressor. And so, so let me let me just play this out. Um, when it comes to critical race theory, especially, this is kind of how it plays out. So you have a black woman, because she's black and because she's a woman, would be considered part of two oppressed groups. And then you have a white man, which would be you and I, Johnny. That would be us, but we're we're white white men, you know, cisgender men. We're that's who we are, and so we're part of the oppressors. And so basically what happens is, is the black woman's voice is considered um, almost incorruptible, if you will, in, in society. She has a better understanding of reality because she's part of the oppressed group and we are part of the oppressed Oppressors, and so because we even are though there of, might not be any oppressing. That's right. Yeah, okay. Even though we ourselves as individuals may not be oppressing anybody and even though the black woman might not be oppressed in any way. Mm-hmm. Might be successful, a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. she might have gone to, you know, Harvard Law School and have a great, great job or whatever and do, be doing wonderful in life and, and, and not really experience really any oppression at all herself. Hmm. Um, but it doesn't matter. It, it really removes the individual from the equation and really sees, sees somebody as part of a larger group, which I think is pretty, to me, is almost a little offensive. I think in some ways it, it can it can be, and I think it's problematic in a whole bunch of whole bunch of ways. Okay. Um, and it, and that's why we we need to be aware of it. But that's how that's how people see the world a lot. It's it's filtered its way down in our education system, mm-hmm. in our in our uh, media, it, you know, the cultural narrative, even the sitcoms we watch. You know, if you're paying attention, you'll see this. And then there's this thing called intersectionality, and what that means is like, so you might have. Um, Certain, you might be part of certain groups because of your your uh, gender identity, because of your um, your your color of your skin, or or something else. You might be part of the oppressed group, and you also might be part of the oppressor group. And so, a, a, an example again, when it comes to race, an easy example. This is a black man. Well, he's black, so he's part of the oppressed group, and he's a man, so he's part of the oppressor group. And so he's, that's this idea of intersectionality. So he's got kind of these, these competing voices well, yeah. within him. And, and so it creates all kinds of, and, and really you can see how this becomes unhealthy really, really quickly. And, and it's really not just, about yeah, what you throw people into categories and groups. You yeah, just throw in people just by yep. looking at them, which is to me, the whole point of is what you're not supposed to do. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, the, we are in groups, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, I don't, I don't think it's completely wrong to say that we're part of groups and, you know, I'm, I'm white and I guess I, I'm part of a white group, I guess. I don't really think about that much. I don't, I don't think about, you know, my ethnicity that much. Um, but be, but it's where you now say, well, because you're part of this group, you your voice no longer counts in this particular area because you're part of this group and and you you're part of the oppressor group. So you're guilty of oppressing people, even if you never actually have oppressed anybody ever in any way. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden you become guilty of these sins of this larger group that you're a part of. And I think that's where it becomes problematic. It's certainly, mm-hmm. certainly and that, and we that's recognize. Where you, that's where you can see the, they pit. It's like a, an, an external thing, yeah. pitting, pitting them against each other, say you are oppressing them. It's like, no, I'm not. I actually love, love this people group where I love, you know, this, yeah. this gender. And it's like, no, 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 you're guilty. And yes. you, you know, and it's exactly what it is. And that's where the it's term white, sort of the term white guilt comes from, you know, when it comes to critical race theory and things like that. And, um, white privilege comes from that. I've never felt, yeah, personally, I never felt that way because I love, I love all races. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. And, you know, so I don't associate at all with that. Well, and, and to, to be, to be clear, what I think people of minority, ethnic minorities would tell you is that's your problem, Johnny. What so is that? Just, is that what? So just so what you would know, I say? What my that, problem is? That you don't really notice or you don't think about it. You're that you're colorblind or whatever. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, so they would say that's your problem. You don't, okay. um, but anyways, and then, I, and I don't, they would I don't do, want to get too far. And they would the, do political uh, moves behind the scenes when we're all fighting amongst each other. Yeah. Well, and this is the problem, right? Um, there, there's an element of truth to critical theory. There's an element of truth. We oppression is bad. Mm-hmm. We don't want nobody should be oppressing anybody else. Like that that's true. The scripture teaches us that, right? We we shouldn't be seeing people that way. We should not oppress other people groups. Um and so so that's true. And I a mean, life of ease is, is bad too. And what? Some, a life of privilege is also bad. A, yeah, absolutely. A life of privilege at the at the cost of of other people is is bad. That's mm-hmm. bad. Um well, we, so, we need some oppression is what, kind of what I'm saying. Even well, like, I'm not sure what you mean. We need some suffering. God, I mean, God brings suffering in our life. Well, he, he brings good from suffering, yeah. right? And he grows us through suffering. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, but, I, but it becomes problematic when, it, when you use this to pit against people against each other. And even if it's not intentionally done, which a lot of people aren't intentionally doing it, but it still happens mm-hmm. because they bought into this. Even if they didn't know what critical theory was, they bought into it because it's, it's so infiltrated our education system, especially our universities um, and our media and our news media and even our just television shows, whatever it is. I mean, you watch whatever show you watch and you, all of a sudden you're going to start seeing this everywhere as, as stories storylines play out in, in different TV shows and stuff, you'll see, you'll, you'll be like, Oh my goodness, it's everywhere. I can't get away from it. Well, division creates great storytelling. It does create great storytelling. Plot lines. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so, and this, this runs contrary, by the way, this whole idea of seeing people in these two things. And this is kind of the point I was making on Sunday in this brotherly affection runs contrary to critical theory. In other words, we, you know, and I, and I quoted Galatians 3.28, right, where there's no neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. There's, you know, and it goes through these different categories. And it says, look, in Christ, we're all one. We're all one. And so really what Christianity does is it actually unifies as, as opposed to divides, where critical theory divides and pits people against each other. Christianity comes and unifies because we're all one in Jesus Christ. We're mm-hmm. all brothers and sisters. Um, 
for those who follow Jesus. And that is the greater, better story. And when then we have this brotherly affection that brings each other together. And I think that's the, that's a beautiful story, whereas critical theory is an ugly story. You know, I, I think sometimes I think maybe why the church does get some arrows in some ways is because we're going into that, what's that, what's that called? The like neutral zone. What's that called? Uh, in, in a war. Uh, what's that? Man, what is that Danger called? Zone? I don't know. No, I, no. Like, I just got the Top Gun song going through my yeah, head. Yeah, actually. <laughs> you know, oh, uh, anyways, it's not. Highway to the... I just see the Tom Cruise As you're singing, I, I like that you're singing. I'm trying to give... You're stalling for me. So I <laughs> Danger get some time. Zone. But yeah, like we're kind of... new Top Gun coming up. I guess neutral zone, like in the middle. We're kind of in like these peacemakers, essentially. Yeah. Um, calling out the authorities in some way is saying, we know... We know what you're doing. Yeah. You know, you're, you're causing conflict. You're causing division. We want to unify. And there's certain things where it's hard because you, you know, you can't be accepting of everything and tolerant of everything. Yeah. Because there still is, in that unification, there still is some, are some standards, you know, yeah. uh, that we have to live to. But, uh, you know, because we're trying, I think, um, be those peacemakers and become one, uh, we, we are seen as a threat in some ways and become right. attacked. Yeah. Right. Um, Cool. Even even if it's all good intention, cool. Well, that was actually pretty interesting. Thanks, John, for uh, going down that road. Um, <laughs> You're welcome, maybe. Yes. And, and and you know, I've talked to some people that you know a lot of people listen to to the podcast. Um, some of them don't attend church here and, and whatnot, um, and they always say, "Hey, I I have a question, but you know, I didn't get to hear the sermon." And just to clarify, if it, if you guys have any questions at all, yeah, you, you know, even if it's about today, yeah, we'll still talk about it next absolutely, week. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you have a question. Um, you know, as we're podcast uh, at gfol.org, yep. right? Uh huh. Um, so, yeah, please send us questions, uh, even if it's a, a week late. It's not a big deal. Hey, like us, like us, or whatever. I don't know. Can you uh, like us? Can you rate us? Can you give us good us ratings? Good somewhere? ratings, yeah. And then, like, share us on your Facebook or Instagram or whatever That's else. Good. TikTok account. I don't oh know. my goodness! Don't even. I, I, I don't even. I don't know what TikTok is. I, know I, that is. I was. I asked this on Facebook the other day. It's like, what is TikTok? It's like it's like short videos of teenagers doing stupid things. Yeah, it's basically what I got and out of it. Getting big followers and making yeah. money doing it. So yeah, well, right. You could if you just get enough. You, what do they call them? Influencers, right? Yeah, they, they You're are an influencer. Yeah. If you've got enough followers, and then you can, you know, be, be, people basically. Be, Pay you to promote advertisers, their stuff. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's an interesting world we live in. John. Sit in your mama's basement, and uh, Not, they're actually I'm go sure they're, out on social media. They're actually pretty creative, and uh, yeah, some the, of them make guys, big yeah. money. No, mm-hmm. that's true, but they're probably still in their mom's basement, and they're twelve years I old. So. I'd be surprised. <laughs> You'd be surprised if I'm making more money than you are. I, well, that's, that, well, oh, that's not hard to do. Yeah. All right. So, uh, any uh, resources you recommend, John? Yeah, actually, there is, and I wanted to put give give a resource regarding critical theory and social justice and Christianity. And there's um, uh, there's a guy named Neil Shenvey, and I'll put him in the show description. I'll put a link to this YouTube video. It's a little bit long; it's like an hour long, but it's really, really good if you want to understand what critical theory is, how it's infiltrated our culture, and both. And he does a really good job of of trying to take a pretty objective approach and just describe it fairly, and then and then he critiques it as well, and then he critiques it from a Christian perspective and say, where does this belong in Christianity? I think it's very, very good and worth your time, uh, but it is it is about an hour long. Okay. Uh, so, John, then what's the big idea for this week? Let's wrap this thing up. The big idea is the love of Jesus is the love of a brother. The love of a brother is a love that restores the fallen. Thank you for joining us on the Grace Deep Dive podcast, where we believe in real grace for real living. We'll see you next week.